Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a sex and intimacy coach and a psychologist, and I have spent the last 33 years helping people to create and maintain meaningful relationships with sizzling sex without the shame. As usual, we are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. And this week, the letter is C, and C is for censorship. And joining me to talk about this topic is Viola Johnson. Viola Johnson's a leather woman, vampire, and author who's been active in the leather BDSM scene for over three decades. A mentor and confidant to many in the fetish world, she has a special fondness for the boys of our community and those who choose to serve as slaves and submissives. Viola is the wife of Jill Carter, International Ms. Leather, 1996. Viola had the distinction of winning the Lifetime Achievement Award from Pantheon of Leather and the National Leather Association, making her the only person to receive both awards in the same year. In August of 2007, she was honored with the first Lifetime Achievement Award given by Blackbeat. Viola is also the recipient of the Pantheon of Leather Woman of the Year Award, the Jack Stice Award, and the Slave Heart Award. In January 2012, Viola received within eight days of, ma of the Master Steve's Golden Paintbrush Awards at Southwest Leather Conference in Arizona and the Leather Leadership Award at the Creating Change Conference in Baltimore, sponsored by the Gay and Lesbian Task Force. She is the author of a number of books. And last I looked, she was working on the follow-up to her book, To Love, To Obey, To Serve. Mama Vi and her wife, Jill Carter, started and hosted the Carter Johnson Leather Library and still do. It has a home in Indiana and a variety of outposts. Sections of the library are taken to many events so that the public can learn from the original source material about our leather and sexual history. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And you know, we're going to have to work to shorten that bio. I love that it. thing is long. I love it though. So censorship. Um, so one of the reasons that I asked you to be here is that I've been more and more aware of the censorship that's happening around sex and intimacy in all its forms over the last, I would say sort of three years maybe four, but it, it's, it's, um, I know that we talk about a swing towards conservatism, but it goes beyond that swing. Actually, it's more than, it's more than four. When did Sesta Fosta come in? Do you remember? Oh, good Lord. Um, 15? Yeah. So it started in 2015 when the Sesta Fosta um, legislation came in. And for those of you listening who don't know, this was legislation that was supposed to be protecting children from trafficking, but was actually aimed at sex workers. And um, it made it almost impossible for people to continue to easily use the internet in order to advertise their services. Um, and so um, rather than increasing safety, actually what it did for a lot of women is increase risk because they had to go back to less secure ways of, of advertising. But the implications of it are what we're still seeing. The knock-on effects of it are what we're still seeing. So there is a generalization that started there that people didn't realize was going to overtake even vanilla standard conservative sex education. Thank you. Right. But it's overtaken that. 
So that most social media platforms make it almost impossible to talk about sex and relationships without being censored. Lori, I wish that were all of it. First of all, I always thought that, that our British counterparts had better sense than we did in terms of sex censorship, period. Mm -hmm. Because ours goes back a much longer way. I mean, we go back to the Comstock laws and what might compromise the marriage bed and, you know, women as property. I always thought you guys had more sense than that. But when, when I look at American censorship around things that could conceivably be sexual, when they decided to take out pictures of justice because in the Capitol, the statue stands there and her breasts are bared. It, that, that was the last straw for me. Where is your head, people? Yeah. Yeah. The statue represents everything that is theoretically good about this country, that justice is blind. And the fact that she's personified as a woman is all that much more wonderful and you're willing to censor justice. Yep. Because her tits are out? Uh, I, I know. And so it's really interesting to do this show right now with everything that's going on. Um, watching, uh, I've been watching the impeachment trial, of course. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I, I, I can't. I read it twice a day, fill me in. It makes me crazy. Um, I've been watching. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to watch all of it, but I've been watching various bits of it. Um, I always though it does drive me crazy. I also, I also find it interesting to look at people's justifications and what, and what they consider needs to be censored and does not need to be censored because they're shouting about First Amendment rights. So in the process of shouting about First Amendment rights, like inciting a riot is a First Amendment right, and you should be able to do that. As long as you don't forget, I put in the caveat first. Then I told you to go kill. But first I said, be peaceful. So that now I'm excused for everything. So that now I can say, go kill and use it. But I said, be peaceful. Right. So that is, that's somehow weirdly acceptable. But somebody talking about an orgasm, you can't even say the word. So it used to be, there were things you couldn't say. There was, you could get away. You could put an emoji up. Now, the emojis, they're on to the emojis. So you, you can't have a peach for a butt. You can't, you'll get censored if you have tacos up. You'll get censored if you have um, eggplant up or aubergine, as we call it over here. Um, you can't say orgasm. You have to say smorgasm or something like that. Um, people who are sex educators and sex workers started changing their job titles. So for a while, everybody was an accountant. They caught on to that. Yeah, it was really funny. There were some really great videos. It was one of the first videos that I actually made for TikTok is, is to, to the song, I'm an accountant. And I mean, it, it you know, it was just a great fun, but um, they've changed titles a dozen different times. And whenever somebody gets onto it and changes the algorithm, you find people being censored again. But it goes beyond that because it's now not just sex and relationships. I had... Um, in a Facebook group, my private Facebook group, a review of my self-help book. It was a paragraph 
out of a review that said, you know, this is good for trauma survivors. It was, it was a nice, nice little paragraph about how it, how the book was useful for trauma survivors and helping people to learn the skills that they need to learn. Not a thing about sex or relationship on the review, in the graphic, and just my name, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. So no, none of my A to Z of sex brand, nothing. Just that. It was censored in my Facebook group. Why? Uh, it went against terms of service. When I asked what, they told me fraud and deception. I said, and I appealed it. And I said, where the hell is the fraud? And show me the fraud. Somebody says, my book is a good book. That's his opinion. And then they went, oh, oops, and put it back up. You won your appeal. Um, at the same time, I had a post that I was putting on uh, Instagram, censored before it could even go up for sexual exploitation, uh, sexual solicitation. I appealed it and said, I ain't soliciting anybody. It's not my thing, right? And it was a post about relationships. Again, didn't mention sex. Um, and they went, oh, sorry. And they put the post up. But what happens when that happens is you miss whatever the reason that you were using this in, in your marketing strategy, you miss, you miss. You, the other thing is you don't get seen as often. So if I look at the number of times my posts are put before people compared to um, Joe Q blogs, white male. Yeah. You know, it's one fiftieth of the time. We could talk about exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. So it's not simply what I'm saying. It's now me. Yeah. There are now limiting LGBT support spaces. LGBTQ support spaces for youth are disappearing as against terms of service. How they're against terms of service, nobody seems to be able to tell me. And in the United States, they make it relatively clear uh, that it could conceivably corrupt the morals of a minor. That's the excuse that they use. Now, the fact that it may prevent suicides, that it is basic education, none of that matters. It could, note the way I said that, corrupt the morals of a minor. And it doesn't even matter if it's a moderated space anymore. No, not at all. Um, and so then we look at what else they censor. So what else do they censor? Whose voices do they censor? Well, people of color all the time, right? Um, and I think I was saying to you earlier, there's like this hierarchy that you can go down that starts with white men who rarely get censored, even when they do some of the most heinous things. There was um, a, a, a lovely white man who did a post on TikTok where he, it was a make it make sense post. And he said, you know, we reported this hate speech. You said it didn't violate your terms of service. We reported this and you said it didn't violate your terms of service. And he gives a list of, of, of things. And the last thing is, um, he's actually he started with, you took down the account of, and this woman's a black woman who's a um, motivational speaker, right? <laughs> okay. She's a motivational speaker. She's not talking about sex. She's, not talking, she's just motivating people. That's all she's doing. And she's brilliant. So he said, we took away, you know, you took down her account. She's called Goddess Mia 20. You took her account down. 
But we reported this, you did nothing. We reported this, you did nothing. We reported that and included things like calling uh, President Joe Biden a pedophile, right? <laughs> like talking about Pence should have been hung during the Capitol riots. But that didn't, that didn't violate your ter terms of service. And then he said, and the, the, the icing on the cake for him was, and this video of a man masturbating with a point of view looking at his penis as he masturbated. We reported 50 times and each time you told us that that didn't violate your terms of service, but somebody saying the word sex does make it make sense. To which the response was? Nothing, oh. nothing, no response. And that's, I think for creators that drives them crazy. For educators, it is an absolute nightmare. For therapists, it's a nightmare. People don't know where to get good information. The information that gets left up is, is sometimes criminal. Yes, and it, it's dangerous, Lori. Yes. It's dangerous. Yeah. You can leave up the, what is it, the super glue challenge, which is, is the new one. Uh, but you cannot leave up something that could prevent a 14-year-old from killing themselves. So what's the super glue challenge? I haven't seen this one yet. Oh, well, good, good. So it's, it's American Lunacy only. Um, evidently, somebody said something as all of these challenges start about using super glue for uh, around the house or around, around purposes other than what it's used for. The classic one that's making all the news now, some crazy female decided to use super glue to keep the hair slicked and keep her ponytail in place. Um, now it, it has created a major problem. And some guy who spoke out against it, this one hit the news this morning, used super glue to glue a cup to his lips to show that it wasn't dangerous. And then went to take it off and, of course, suddenly realized he's taking off more than just skin. We've got to go to the emergency room and people using super glue for things other than the kids, you know, gluing their two fingers together and going, mom, help. And you've got to get out the acetone. Super glue to do all sorts of stupid things. Welcome to the super glue challenge or the cinnamon challenge, which is deadly if done incorrectly. That you will leave up. But information on where some 13-year-old little genderqueer who is being brutalized and bullied, that information could lead to the corruption of a minor? Once again, am I missing something? No. And, and, and so one of the things that's happened is that, um, so OnlyFans, which is... Um, a site where people can share pictures and videos that they have made um, and creators can make, can create X-rated videos. It's a membership site. So for example, unlike something like Pornhub where you can just go and find it and go into it, this is not, you have to pay a membership to see the pictures okay. of whoever you're paying. So you subscribe to, to, to whomever. Um, and you can't even actually, the site isn't even very easily searchable itself. You have to use another app to search. It's sort of strange. So you kind of have to know what you're looking for. That's the, the reason they set it up that way is you have to know what you're looking for in order to go and see it. Um, 
with uh, Sester Foster, with um, COVID and lots of things becoming um, impossible, uh, many, pe- many people have lost jobs and um, many students are stuck with nothing that they can do. Many mothers can't feed their kids. So there has become um, an explosion. It, it went from something like, you know, a couple hundred thousand accounts to well over a million because um, there's been an explosion of creators when they realized that they could earn some money and feed themselves and they felt okay about doing it, right? These are clearly people who felt okay about whatever they were doing. But that's against everybody's terms of service to even mention that. So that used to be that that they would use their social media to drive people to their accounts. So they weren't putting, you know, they weren't violating the terms of service on the social media in the sense that they weren't putting up, well, some people did, but they weren't putting up the um, adult content on the social media. They were, telling people that you could find them over there. Can't, can't do that. Um, Or you lose your account. And if you lose your account, you have no way to reach out to people and you're in trouble and how do you survive? Um, So there's push from that side. And then there's push from the other till each week, it seems that it gets narrower what you are actually allowed to talk about on social media. And yet you can use music like WAP and the, the rebuttal, which is the really weird one, the one, you know, I'm fasting. I don't do that. I'm fasting. I don't remember the name of the song, but it, there's a reason for that. Because, like, if that's what your response to that is, I don't do that. I'm fasting. No, none of us want to know you anyway. So there it is, right? I actually did do, do a video where I said, I'm like, if that's what he says, you, you know, kick him to the curb, you know, we just really. Um, but... You can have a 13-year-old twerking to that, and that's okay, because it's because it's music, and they're not saying anything because it's music, so they're just dancing. So the lack of recognition of the ways in which advertising sexualizes children, um, the ways in which some of our music sexualizes children, because although there's explicit warnings on it, you know, I I so clearly remember uh, my sister-in-law when my uh, twin nieces were four was playing some music where they were going around singing motherfuckers. Right. And I remember, and she thought it was cute. And I'm like, no, no, just no, it's not. And I remember saying to her, listen, this is just, this isn't on, you know, it's not like she overheard you say fuck and then said fuck. And that could be funny. It's like you are playing this sexual music and you're getting her to bop her booty. She's a kid. She shouldn't be bopping her booty. She's a kid. Say bopping your booty until you're in adolescence. Then you bop your booty. Adult. I'm old. Adult. (laughs) Well, I look at, I look at age of consent. So age of consent, 16. So you're here. Yeah. But you brought, you know, no bopping the booty when you're four, but that's considered cute. And, and and that doesn't violate any terms of service. But if I want to talk to somebody about why it's important to use lube, that's a problem. Or, or hey guys. Or a sexually transmitted disease, which is now getting censored over here because that's morality and that should be taught by the parents. Excuse me, if it was taught by the parents, the kid wouldn't be there to begin with. 
Absolutely. So I, um, I last year, um, a friend of mine uh, was doing a TEDx talk and she had already agreed to do um, a talk to one of the um, local uh, C of E churches for they do a, um, a series of uh, food for thought discussion nights where they have a lecture mm-hmm. on some topic and then they discuss various things. And she'd agreed to do that. And it turned out she, the Ted talk was on the same day. So she'd called me and she said, listen, would you take this over to me now? Um, uh, I have almost no exposure. I've been in this country 31 years. I have almost no exposure to, to the, the church of England apart from, you know, looking at what happens on TV. Um, I'm Jewish and um non-practicing and um, my spirituality is my own and I go into old churches because they're beautiful but you know it's not my usual audience but I said yes so what was the topic they wanted to talk on LGBTQ in the modern world okay right so I gave a talk last year and it was very well received so they asked me again would I please come and give the talk this year very nice so I did it again last week. And this time it's been very interesting. And then maybe because we are on Zoom and people have have a different way of interacting with the material, but I've gotten a number of letters afterwards, nice letters, letters asking for resources for how to teach their children. Because one of the big questions was, where do we learn this stuff? You've said that People are poorly educated on sex and relationships and that it's problematic. And we get that it is problematic. We understand that it's dangerous because people are doing things and they don't have the knowledge they need to protect themselves. Thank you. But who should be responsible for that? And I just very, well, I was just very straightforward. And I said, look, in an ideal world, the way it would look, because they asked me, the parents, the school, or the church. And I said, I'm going to start with the church. I said, unfortunately, church community has gotten smaller and smaller. <clears throat> Young people aren't as engaged. So we can't ask the church to take on this responsibility. Because we won't reach enough kids. That's just how it is. We won't reach enough kids. So the church can't do this because you have to. And I said really clearly, I said, it's got to be educational. And I said, and there is morality in education. You can tell people, you can communicate that this has a better moral quotient than that in certain areas. And so they were like, in what area? I said, well, you could make the argument, although I would never, that abstinence is until you're in a serious relationship is better because it gives you time to get to know somebody before you share your body with them. And that sharing your body is very intimate. And that's why it's better to take your time. You see, there's no judgment there about somebody maybe wanting to have more sex or less sex. And they were like, wow. Right. I said, so if you were going to wanted to give that kind of a message, but the church could give some education, but traditionally this isn't the church's So I said, this isn't your province, right? I said, so then we have the parents or the school. I said, I would love it to be the parents. Certainly my son was educated by me. But at a certain point in time, he's going to go to his friends. Well, at a certain point in time, he didn't go to his friends. He went to the other safe adults that he knew he could go to to talk about whatever was concerning him because he knew they wouldn't break his confidence. Because early on, I said, 
here's the thing. There are going to be things that you may not want to talk to me about. To be honest, he's not embarrassed talking to me about almost anything. That's just how he is. But I say, there are going to be things you may not want to say to me. I'm your mom. I get it. Right? You can go. Here are the people you can go talk to who will know about these things, who I trust to give you good advice. This is why I don't want you to go to your friends. I don't want you to go to the internet. I want you to go to one of the people and we'll make a pact. They won't tell me what you've said. Good. Right? Here are the people. Here, you can go to, you can go to your dad, which is actually who he usually goes to. But you can go to your dad. You can go to Max. You know, Jackie volunteered. You can go to Jackie, right? Um, here are the guys, you know, here are more guys if you need more guys, right? And there's a list of people. And he had seven or eight people at that time. Now he's got even more. And he's got direct access to them. But it's it's sort of at that time, he had seven or eight people he could go to and not talk to me if he didn't want to. So I knew that he got his information about whatever variation it was. If he had a question about gender, if he had a question about homosexuality, if he had a question about leather, anything, he was getting that from adults that I trusted to give him good information. Good information. Yes. And I didn't have to worry. That's how I parented. That's not how my parents parented, right? That's not how a lot of my peers parent. So when I was answering the church folk, I said, so while I would like the parents to be doing it, they need to be educated before they can do this. Because what they learned often is not only out of date, it's inaccurate. Well said. (laughs) And they need the right information. The school should be doing the backup but they need the modern backup. So they need to agree that they're actually going to give good information in a broad way so that it's useful information. And right now that's not happening. And the third problem with your logic there is if the school dispenses good information, then those who are sitting on in the United States anyway, state and local and state school boards are going to stop the funding to the school because they're talking about sex. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it's changing some over here. We don't have great, great sex education here, let me tell you. Um, it's different uh, from the public schools to the independent schools. It varies from public school to public school. Uh, my son was at an independent school when he was 14. Um, I volunteered to go in and talk about different relationship styles and different genders and sexualities. And the reason I volunteered to go in was because I was aware of the people that that I was first of all aware that there were children who were sexually active. I was aware that there were more, there was more than one person who didn't identify as heterosexual um, and more than one person who didn't identify as the gender that they were assigned at birth. But all they had been taught thus far was um, some physical stuff and their teacher talked about it. She still calls it marital relations. So I, I telephoned and said, um, I understand by talking to my son about what you've taught that you're not covering consent, that you're not covering any variations and actually you're, 
your teaching is basically based on fear, which is what it was when you and I were growing up, right? It was like, if you do this, you'll get pregnant. If you do that, you'll get pregnant or you'll get this disease or that disease or this disease or that disease. That was, you know, that was it. That was all the teaching. Um, So I said, you know, this isn't, this isn't helpful. And she said, well, we don't teach them until it was year 10 and year 11. We don't do relationships until year 10. So Um, after they're pregnant. Well, and I said, I said, so um, you do realize that there are children in the class having sex already. And the response was, well, how do you know that? I said, because I'm approachable. That's how I know. Yeah. Because I'm approachable and I have good information and I'm going to tell them what they need to know so that they're not doing something stupid and dangerous. Um, and it, she was like, well, we, we still, you know, we don't think it's appropriate. And I said, okay. Uh, that year, my son started the LGBTQ um, support group, the first one ever in the school. So at least there was some information going on there. The following year, they started teaching consent. Only they had no information to teach consent. Keeping in mind that people are already having sex, right? That's like the shutting the door, the barn door off the horse is bolted. So I passed along some materials and said, here you go. You can teach consent. I was mortified. And the parents were the ones who made the decision in that school as to when teaching happened. So if they were Which is based on their generation instead of what their children are doing. They were they were firmly of the belief that if you talk to them about it, they'll do it. If you don't talk to them about it, they won't. It's like that kind of mythical thinking, but that's common. And that's where censorship really gets a hold, right? Because that's the belief. The whole point in, in censoring people talking about sex is to suppress the scary information, which often has to do with female pleasure. You know that we do not censor conversations about erectile dysfunction. (laughs) You know, you can, you can, you can have TV, you can talk about erectile dysfunction till the cows come home. Nobody has an issue about it. You talk about inhibited orgasm in a woman and everybody freaks out. But the concept of the female orgasm comes back to the issue of female property rights. Let's bring this back to where it starts. And they've been trying to suppress us understanding anything about our bodies other than it belongs to him since Abraham. Yep. Yep. And it's trying to explain to somebody um, recently who was saying, you know, something silly about this. And I was saying, you you don't get it. Here it is. This is patriarchy. There are matriarchal societies. We're talking about patriarchal societies. And all of the book religions are patriarchal societies, period, end of discussion. So all of them are patriarchal. And why do they need to know? Because they need to know inheritance. They need to know whose children these are. Thank you. And if they can't figure out whose children these are, then somebody else might get their stuff. I mean, isn't this the basis of the honeymoon, which is one of those wonderful premises? Hi, he carried on with her for 31 days because that way it guaranteed she went through one menstrual cycle and any born of that union belonged to him. 
That's right. So that, because it's definitely my child and that before DNA tests, that's what we had, but it hasn't changed. And that's the bit that people don't get their heads around. So I, I, I kept saying that's, it, it is the root of the suppression of women and their sexuality yes. is going back to this, <clears throat> which incenses me. Women don't understand this. And that's even worse. Women don't understand that they need to understand their own bodies and their own pleasure because men are not mind readers. And if they can't tell them what feels good and what doesn't, they haven't a chance in hell of having a good time. But also that confidence is sexy. And if you don't know what turns you on and you don't know what feels good and you haven't explored your own body, you can't have sexual confidence. And see, I've got to bring you back to what you just said, your own body. Well, yes. Before all of this can happen, before the understanding of what turns me on, I must first understand it is mine to be allowed to be turned on. I must understand this this frame belongs to me all of my taste whether i enjoy a glass of wine is my taste bud whether i enjoy uh, a perfect piece of fruit is mine whether i enjoy my body is mine first to claim then i can figure out what it is that I like. Women still don't claim their own bodies. Well, yeah. I mean, and so, you know, so in the, in my recent book, um, or uh, Dancing the Edge to Reclaiming Reality, one of the things about gaslighting is that it frequently is around teaching you that your views aren't yours, your gut instincts aren't yours, and often particularly for women, I have to say, by extension, the body isn't yours. Isn't yours, exactly. And you're right, until you claim that, until you say, okay, this, I have control over this. And in fact, it's the only thing I do have control over. Um, That's it. All of this and, and, and I put a coda on that, and I don't always have control over this. As you know, if you get ill or something, right? Things yes. happen and your body's in control and you're not. Or if you get pregnant, by the way. Yeah, because <laughs> the kid's in control. Like, that's right. It's the <laughs> ultimate experience of being out of control. <laughs> I remember my friend saying to me, because I was 39 when I had him. And I remember my friend saying to me, uh, younger friend, oh, you're going to love it. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. I'm a control freak. I wasn't so sure it was going to be amazing and wonderful. There were times in the pregnancy I felt fantastic. I felt like the mother goddess of the earth. I felt beautiful. I, you know, I did love it. But the concept of of being inside of you was really difficult for me. I remember somebody saying to me, it's natural. I said, there's nothing fucking natural about a being inside you. (laughs) Nothing. You know, all I could think of was alien, right? <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Ooh. The first time he kicked, I got sick. And then I adjusted. But the first time I went into the bathroom, it was the only time I got sick. I managed to avoid morning sickness 
by judiciously paying attention to what my body told me to eat or not eat, because I have a thing about not vomiting. So, you know, but the first time he kicked, I got sick and then I adjusted. Um, but it's that sort of thing. I had no control. Like I would want to eat all of a sudden. I'd be like, it's four in the morning. I don't need to eat at four in the, fuck it. The kind of hunger that you experience when you're pregnant is like no other kind of hunger you've ever experienced. You're being driven. And it's mm-hmm. that thing, that thing. And women don't, you know, I think about it and I was like, if you haven't claimed your body and then you go and you go through that experience, how much more terrifying is it if you haven't, if you can't tell what's you and what's not you? Here, here. Well said. Well said. Um, you know, we, we, we're conditioned to believe it's not ours. And if this is not ours, then nothing that gives us pleasure has meaning. Nothing. True. True. Hence, it, you know, my pleasure must be guided by the person who owns it. Well, he's having a great time. Therefore, I guess I'm having a great time. Until I can convince myself that it was wonderful because it was wonderful for him. Therefore, it was wonderful for me. How many women do you, well, the difference in our ages Probably half of my friends outside of the community, the women that I went to school with, the women that I went to college with, have never had an orgasm. Well, it's still... The reason I is because after Fifty Shades of Stupid uh, Grey came out and enough were on my Facebook page to find out that I led an alternative lifestyle... All of a sudden, I'm getting emails by the score from old classmates going all the way back to junior high. Wow. Talking about, um, well, my husband said, or my husband this, or my husband that. And uh, an old and dear friend of mine was Betty Dodson. Mm-hmm. And Betty's first classes for women up in her loft were handing them a mirror. Yep. Look at your body. Sitting on a mat and said, look at your body. Do you know what your genitals look like? Well, and what's sad to me, and you will be sad to hear it, is we still have to do that. The number of young women that I speak with in the community and out Certain subcultures, certain religious backgrounds, more so than others, but still there are so many who have never, ever looked at themselves. They've looked at women's genitals on pornography, not looked at their own. When they look at their own for the first time, then they think there's something wrong with them. Yes. And I, I, I do remember the, the first time I actually, I mean, really, as an adult, okay, I was all of... 18, maybe, maybe just before being, I was 18, but as an adult, right? I was in university already. I'd been in university since I was 17 that I first properly got a look at another woman's genitals. I'd looked at my own because my, one of my best friends when we were in high school bought me a copy of our bodies ourselves. So I learned about my body. I was sexually active already. So she was like, you should know more about your body. But I had a girlfriend and the opportunity arose to have sex, which I was very interested in doing. 
and my shock when I saw her genitals for the first time, because we were so different from each other. A rose is different from an azalea. Absolutely. But nobody ever told me. I don't think my mother said one word about genitals ever, right? And let's bring that back to where we started this. Censorship is not just the banning. It is the overall lack of knowledge. Absolutely. And if I can keep that knowledge away from you, then the only source you will have, whether it be your husband, your male doctor who might get that wrong and everything else, they become the authority for you. You are not the authority for you. And ultimately, that is for women what all of this is about. I have got to keep that knowledge away from you because if you learn, you will figure out one, your value. Yeah. Two, that you do not need me. You yeah. may want me, but you don't need me. Yeah. And if you don't need me, I cannot control you. So Absolutely. I must keep that knowledge away from you. Absolutely. And, and unfortunately, now it is as bad or worse than it was generations ago, I believe. Of course it is. Women um, are now breaking through all kinds of glass ceilings. So what do you have? Think of it as a battle strategy. Yeah. When there is no other way than all or nothing, and I've still got a 60% chance I'm going to lose, betting the other 40 is not a big deal. So it's the last strikes. Maybe this will work. If it works, I get everything back. And if it doesn't, I was going to lose anyway. So now we bet the farm to stop you from getting to the promised land of knowledge. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it, it, I mean, it frightens the hell out of me because I look and the level of misinformation is dangerous. Yes. Uh, is the understatement, um, not only from the point of view of disease, which is bad, um, but emotionally dangerous, bad relationships, abuse, emotionally abusive relationships, early pregnancies, pregnancy losses. Um, I don't even know what to do with it. You know, I get, I get so frustrated and even the most well-meaning of men who aren't trying overtly in this situation to suppress anyone or anyone's knowledge often still are coming in with faulty information. It's built into the system, Lori. Yeah. So because they have the faulty information, the only thing they can share is the faulty information. Yeah. And they think they're being supportive. <laughs> and... To some extent, they are. They're sharing what they've got because that's all they've got. And they were taught it was right. And th my best example of this is the guy who came in to talk to me about anal sex. He said, my wife and I, we watched the pornography. That's the way he put it. We watched the pornography to learn how to do anal sex but it didn't work. 
It was awful and painful, and I don't know what I did wrong. Well, they don't show lubrication in pornography with anal sex. At the, at the best, they show us, you know, spit in the hand, but they usually don't even show that. And I had to say, pornography is entertainment. It's not education. For education, these are, there are books or you come to someone like me. So let me tell you what you can do to make that not be horrible and painful. And whether or not you can overcome the first bad experience. Well, that too. Absolutely. And, and, but, but for me, it was, I can't fault him. He had nowhere else to go in his mind. Exactly. And the only reason he found me was because I happened to go give a talk to a men's group and he was part of the men's group. And so he was like, oh, 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 there's somebody I can talk to. I'm going to go and find out, you know, how do I make my wife happy? And that's actually what he was coming in with. There was the anal sex and there was cunnilingus problems in both areas. I want to make my wife happy. I'm not making my wife happy. How can I make my wife happy? And I started with, do you know what your wife wants? Does your wife know what your wife wants? Well, and he said, she can't tell me. And I said, she might not know what she wants. And that's where I start with most people. Um, so we're going to have to continue this one in another, in another show, because we could talk about this for a really long time, which would be great. Um, but, uh, before you go, what I do want to do is make sure that people know where to find you and the library. So can you please tell us? Uh, let me see now. There, there are a number of, uh, URLs you can use from weatherlibrary.org to carterjohnsonlibrary.com. Um, for a lot of those resources, if any of your readers, readers, watchers are so inclined, uh, they can even look up um, Other Voices Conference because that's coming up in two weeks uh, or donate to the library or find you because you're a patron of the library. Absolutely. And uh, start to pass out that information. Start to find the writers, find the people who need it and find the writers who are producing it. And trust me, Lori, we will figure out ways to get around this. We have to. It really is just that simple. We do. It's, it's, it's getting dire. And, um, and it makes me indescribably sad as well as angry um, because it feels like we're losing another generation to this shit. The only difference is this generation is more motivated to find it. Yes. It comes back to part of the discussion that we had had earlier, which is the issue of knowledge. They want it. Yeah. We've got to figure out how to get it to them. Yeah. And that's the big, that's the big part. And, you know, I'm, I mean, I like to leave on a happy note. I'm always impressed by um, the fact that people of all ages will seek knowledge out. Um, people say, you know, uh, I had somebody ask me uh, about, she was bemoaning the fact that um, a women's sexual peak is supposed to be between the ages of 34 and 35 and 45 and what happens after 45. And I was very clear that um, you can have some of your best sex after 45. I have better sex in my late 50s than I did in my 20s. Yeah. So, 
I'm not complaining. Um, but to give that knowledge that, yes, there's more. And she was like, well, if you don't know what to do, how old? And my oldest client was 78. And she came because, you know, she'd been a widow for 10 years. And she's like, I want to get back on the bicycle. I need some help. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Never too old to learn. Bravo. So, guys, have a good week, a safe week. Don't forget the crowdfunding campaign that's going on right now to create a membership site with a virtual safe space that will allow for support groups on all types of issues around sex and gender and also trauma and also social spaces, self-guided education and professional education and events. You can find this site, and I'll put it in the comments, but you can find the site if you go to http colon forward slash forward slash a to z of sex dot co forward slash crowdfund. That will get you there. Please consider donating at least a tenner, which is basically the cost of a designer coffee and a muffin so that we can combat censorship and we can create spaces where people can actually speak their mind without fear of being outed, persecuted, or just shut down. Uh, next week, the letter is D, and I look forward to seeing all of you then. <laughs>